Well, good afternoon. Thank you, Charlie, for that prayer. Man, yeah, breakthrough, power over sin. It's always a good reminder uh, about the gospel message and um, that Jesus has that power. So I uh, wanted to talk about that uh, today um, as part of the message, but just wanted to say hi. And again, I wanted to say hi to everyone watching online. So just wanted to give a shout out to everyone out there. Um, yeah, fall season is upon us and wanted to give you a plug about our property in New Hampshire. Some of us were there. And I wanted to go and see if the leaves are changing. We were joking that we have a little camera out there to see the foliage tracker. And so um, one of uh, uh, our, our, our brothers, uh, Daniel Chung, he actually sent me a video of like this uh, panning across the trees on our property. And I wanted to show you that to show, um, yeah, that's uh, the sky. Trust me, that is our property. That's not a random. <laughs> place. It's turning. It's not quite there. Still probably a week and a half away. But yeah, we, I think he focused on the one tree that's actually kind of red. So yeah, that's nice. That's all on our property. Yes. And then just wanted to, this is me and my, I'm on the golf cart there. Uh, yeah, you could see it's still green and I'm looking back and then trying to see a little bit of the foliage see a little bit then another video that's just a still shot this is me coming back toward the house <laughs> and that is <laughs> sorry I'm not very maybe I shouldn't be driving and doing this at the same time but th that is like our house and so and then uh, we've been doing a lot of work on the house on the houses we have like four structures there and so we this room um, you might not appreciate it, but it was just, yeah, it was not, it was not this, okay? <laughs> but we did the new flooring and all of that. And so then I entered, and this is where we're going to have our little discipleship retreat for Boston uh, sophomores and up. So if you are a sophomore and up, there's Josh, <laughs> my model <laughs> there. So I think that's it, right? Yeah, so that's our property hour and a half away, so... Uh, hopefully you'll have a chance to go there, especially like a week and a half. I hear it's like that's going to be the peak foliage season. People pay big bucks to go to New Hampshire uh, to look at the foliage. And here you just go for free. Like this is at our property at the invitation of one of us. So ask your mentors uh, to take you up there, study there, and then look at the trees. So anyway, maybe it's just an older old person talking here. Maybe you, you young people, they just, yeah, it's not really all my thing. Is that, is that? Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that affirmation there. So, all right. So, um, today, uh, as I was saying, talking about the gospel and, uh, I wanted to talk about a term uh, called lordship. And, um, uh, if you're new to church, that term, like when you might've heard people say, Hey, Jesus is Lord or Lord Jesus. And if you're new to Christianity, that might strike you as a little archaic, right? Because when you think of Lord, I mean, I don't know, you think of Lord of the Rings. Um, I, I, you think of that period, right? Or that period of like a royal court 
and we've been introduced to that recently with Queen Elizabeth passing away and then King Charles now becoming like coronated as king. So you get a little glimpse into the, the royal culture and we, it's like far removed from us, but this is the term that is referred to, like that Jesus referred to in scripture, Lord Jesus, the enthronement of Jesus Christ as Lord. And so I think it's appropriate when we say, when you think of Jesus as Lord, we're saying he is king. He is king. And, um, and, and that means we owe our allegiance to him. So that's what making Jesus Lord means. And what's interesting is if you study literature and ancient legends, um, I took a class on this in seminary and just fascinating. And uh, there seems to be in cultures around the world, a natural affinity or a recognition toward a true king. And it's as if this is our origin story, as if this is the way we were designed. Like there was once a loving, compassionate, powerful, and kind king who ruled with wisdom and power and justice. And uh, the stories go like this. And when the king was there, everything was beautiful, life was good, there was blessing, and then somehow the king got displaced or got kicked out. And after people experienced sort of the golden age and everyone blossomed, um, there, the king was taken away and there was the second law of the thermodynamics <laughs> that hit. It went from order to entropy and then suddenly st things started to decay and people longed for the return of that good king. Now, uh, and then when that king re returns, presumably he would restore everything to the way it was once, the way it was supposed to be. So sound familiar? Like that story, that narrative has been replayed in Hollywood in like Robin Hood, <laughs> King Arthur, uh, Lion King. It's, it's that story. It's, the, it's this story of a king returning and it universally exists perhaps because there's a memory trace in, in the human life history of one who once ruled as king and then was displaced. And so if you look at scripture, you get a clue as to why such perhaps universal stories exist. Because if you go back to the very first chapter, very first book, very first verse, Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So our origin begins with God, the king, the creator, and he speaks creation into existence, including us, and therefore he is the rightful king. And at the end of Genesis chapter 2, if you read it, everything's good. Everything is, it's like paradise. It's blessing Adam and Eve. If you read in 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. In other words, it's a picture of complete openness and trust with one another and with God. And then in Genesis 3, we read this familiar story that I just narrated about a king that was displaced. We read how Adam and Eve kicked God out of his rightful place as sovereign Lord in a gigantic event theologically known as the fall. And through this story, we're given a picture of why the human race has degraded because we have kicked out the rightful Lord over our lives. And therein lies the answer to what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with us, why there is such an unraveling in 
uh, society and just the brokenness all around us. And so where the Bible lands on this is it's because we have kicked out God. And that act of kick, kicking out God is known as sin, it's a capital S, sin. So Genesis 3, I urge you to go back and read it again, story of how that happened and how it continues to happen throughout human history. So turns out there is a king behind all those legends that even the greatest kings that we have been introduced to are just like dim reflections of the memory trace in us that we were made for our creator God. So this is a long intro, okay, to our, going back to our message series, Upon This Rock, covering the gospel through the words of Apostle Peter. So I want to uh, read Mark chapter 10, one of, the, one of the four gospel, the earliest gospel, verses 17 to 31. So just follow along with me. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teach her all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened, by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And here's where Peter comes in. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Okay, so this is a familiar story of a, a ruler, a rich young man, and he asks Jesus a question. And that question is a very, it's, it's actually a very good question. And what is that question? He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, how can I be saved? And it's interesting that a man of great wealth and power and youth would even ask this kind of question as if to suggest that even though he's reached these heights at such a young age, that his conclusion is there's got, there's got to be more to this life. So he asks, how can I gain eternal life? And this question, I just want to add, is, is a question that is worth considering asking for all of us. And Jesus' answer to that gives clarity to what is at the essence of, of eternal life, or how do, how do we ha receive eternal life? And his answer, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure 
in heaven, come, follow me. In other words, when you sell that you have, you follow Jesus and his priorities and really just submit to him. Jesus is saying, make me Lord, make me Lord, make me king, the rightful king. And then when Jesus says this, it's funny how Peter says, see, we have left everything and follow you. He needs that extra affirmation, you know, like, this is Peter. I like it. I like Peter. He's like, yeah, look at us. We did that. And, uh, but I like what he says here because Peter defines what lordship is. We have left everything and followed you. It's not some religious ritual, not performing those rituals, but it's leaving everything and following. It's what it means to make Jesus Lord. And that's what it, that makes sense. If Jesus is king, you not only believe in what he teaches, you're obeying him and it means you no longer are in charge of your life. I like that classic description of what lordship is. It's like you're driving a car and then you see Jesus on the side of the road and you ask for directions. What is the direction toward eternal life, Jesus? And then he tries to get in your car and he goes, no, no, I just want the direction. Can you give it to me? And it's like, yeah, follow my commandments. Okay, I, I did that, I did that. And then Jesus is like, no, you got to sell everything and follow me. And then that means got to get him in the car. And he's saying, displaced you as the driver. And then he's saying, I drive. And you're like, what? I don't trust you. This is my life. I want to drive. And he's like, no, you need to leave and follow my direction, which means I need to take charge of your life. That classic de that definition of lordship. And so it seems like a hard ask, no? I mean, like, wow, it's a very hard ask. Is my life and leaving everything and following? And, but, but what is the alternative? And the reality is the alternative is, is pretty bleak if you just decide, I'm going to be in charge of driving my own life. Because, and here I want to refer you to Romans chapter 6. We've been covering Romans in devotionals. And I just want to cover verse 20 through 23. But for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, when we're left to our own self-will, i.e., we're Lord over our own lives, the end result of that, according to this, is, is death. For the wages of sin is death. And there is a destructive nature of sin, it's operation in our lives that ends up actually enslaving us because it says for when you were slaves of sin, it ends up slave enslaving us instead of experiencing like the promised freedom and the autonomy that we experience leading our own life. We get enslaved. We fall prey, in other words, to a number of things, our own desires, possessions, the lusts that drag us to places that we didn't plan on going all along. So you, we get this, whatever it is, 
And these are ne not necessarily bad things that drive us, like romance and success and um, whatever it is, like family, possessions, nothing wrong with those things in and of itself. In fact, it has the potential to be a huge blessing. But the problem is we need help because left to our own devices because of sin, we end up somehow managing to sabotage it. Now, what's interesting is uh, when I went back and looked at lottery winners, you know, those people that won like $16 million on that. And uh, the statistics are 70% lose or spend all the money with, within five years. And then one third declare bankruptcy. Isn't that interesting? Like these lottery winners, you, you would expect that um, they, they would have be set for life. Happiness, right? Happiness, success. And then there's something about that quote unquote blessing that leads to degradation and destruction. In fact, one person, he won the Pennsylvania lottery, 16.2 million jackpot. And this was like the start of a series of unfortunate events. His ex-girlfriend sued him for the share of the winnings and won. His brother hired a hitman in an effort to inherit part of the cash. Other relatives spent months demanding money from him. And within a month, uh, that's within a month of him winning. And then within like a few years, this man had to file for bankruptcy and had a $1 million in debt. Okay, now... You, like I said, like, of course, this is just lottery winners, and we're, none of us are winning the lottery. I, well, I mean, you know. And, but but it, it serves as almost like a cautionary tale. Because we imagine that when we achieve a certain blessing, that we're going to be able to secure that blessing. The problem is that we forget. We forget to imagine about our own personality. Uh, though, and our own personality, though we have some good aspects of it, the darker aspects, we don't take that into account when we consider our own future. And the darker aspects, meaning not just simply your propensity to get angry or your lusts and things like that. I'm just talking about like even just your basic constitution, uh, maybe your insecurity, maybe just like the fact that that leads to like a slightest offense um, when, when someone like seems to give that to you, you, you just, you just re receive that with, it's get you constantly upset, uh, causes you to feel very emotionally insecure. And then you want to cling to others. Just even in that little like thing called insecurity, it causes us to behave in ways that maybe you look back and you're kind of ashamed. So going back to Romans, um, well, um, Actually, this is not the verse I wanted. It says, verse 21 said, but what fruit were, get, were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? So before Christ, what was that fruit? Before you were leading your own life, you were your own Lord, what was that fruit? Weren't there some shameful things? At least you thought about in, in, internally. And, and you realize if you actually acted upon it, that's not going to go well for you, and that's not going to go well for those you love. So when Jesus comes as Lord of your life, going back to what I said earlier, is that like an alternative? Like making Jesus Lord seems like a hard ask, but in this context, man, like I want Jesus to be Lord. 
even though it's going to be difficult, even though it means that though I am used to living my life on my own, free to do as I please, um, I, I understand that when Jesus is made Lord, it's actually good news. Because, and now I'm ready for this verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our, our Lord. So he leads us to eternal life. I mean, what better news is that than that? And he does this because he is not just any Lord, he is a good Lord. And in fact, he wants to deliver us and he loves us. Notice in this passage, I, I keyed in on this phrase when Jesus is looking at this rich young man. He says, he looked, looked at him and he loved him. That's his heart. Not only is he good, but he also loves us. He's a, he's a Lord that loves us, not looking to condemn. And if that's the case, um, you would think that the way in which he loves us or loves this man would be sentimental, right? Like that's kind of how we translate love in today's age. Like It's like, hey, rich man, let's go to Starbucks. Let's go and I'll buy you a pumpkin spice latte, you know and uh, give him a hug, and then uh, hang out and have a nice talk with him. And perhaps that's our modern view of what it means to love. But not according to this passage. When he loved him, then what, is, what follows is not that he takes him to Starbucks. He says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. Doesn't seem very loving. But in this instance, I want to redefine it as love insisting on truth. Because the truth is, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So the best thing for this young man is to hear that. That's the most loving thing. Go sell all that you possess because it's going to deter you from eternal life. And it's going to continue to cause you to be enslaved over sin. So he says, I love you. You need to do this. Now, compare that to, ironically, our attempts to love ourselves, which is, as I said, even in the best of our intention, we end up not able to orchestrate that very well. So, okay, you're saying, that's great. Let's make Jesus Lord. But there's something about making Jesus Lord there's something about submitting to the authority, any authority for that matter, but God, the authority that rubs us the wrong way. And so maybe we could just discuss for a minute. Jesus comes to you and says, I am your creator, master, Lord, sell all, follow me. Like, how do you feel about that? Like, what is your visceral reaction to the fact that Jesus says, make me Lord. So give you like a couple minutes to talk about that with each other, okay? So let's do that.
All right. Okay, so I don't know what you guys shared. Um, I think if someone was a truly powerful, good Lord, it'd be easier, right? It'd be easier to say, like, yeah, I'll follow you. You're my hero. Until it butts up against your own desires or your own practical needs. Okay, so even in that case, it's going to be difficult. But just on the surface, just submitting to any authority, I think it would be difficult because I think it flies in the face of today's era of expressive individualism because this, this idea that someone who has rights over us, um, who says, you belong to me now, uh, doesn't that kind of rub you the wrong way? Because that's not how we've been reared. It's like what's true for you, that you should follow that and follow your instincts and follow your heart. And so when God says, sell all and follow me, our, I think most of us, our initial instinct is, are you serious? Are you serious? I am busy. I've got homework sets. I'm already behind. And you're asking me to follow you to where? And so, uh, and then Jesus, you know, I like the way that um, some, someone has said it, where selling all involves letting go of the three lordship, the three Ps, people, possession, and purpose. It's like, wow, that is comprehensive. And in the case of the rich young ruler, it really was that because he's giving up his wealth and his future earning potential and probably because he's young, just a few more years, probably would make CEO and then get his yacht, you know, stream mansion. And then if he, in fact, loses his wealth, he'll lose his social circle too because he's not going to be able to hang out with those people anymore. So it will be people, possessions, and purpose. So why is this hard? As I said, it's because even if that person is blameless and that person is amazing, it butts up against what's, ultimately, it butts up against what's practical to our own needs. And for the rich young ruler, he could not get past that. You mean following Jesus means disrupting my schedule, my rhythms, and my life? And Jesus loved him and said, yes. And why is that even worth following? Because Jesus is saying, it's not my own personal aesthetic that you should just follow me, but it's because it is true. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, there's an objective reality that Jesus is saying to affirm. Our world now says there is no truth. There's only what's true for me. That is what's now it's like what's true for me is what works for me, what's practical for me. That's what's true. And expressive individualism basically says, I alone can decide what is true, what is practical, what is good, based on my own personal conscience and feelings. I don't find truth out there in some way and then conform my consciousness and, and whatever it is to that. Instead, I tap into the truth that I find in my heart. And that directly goes up against this, what Jesus says here. I am the way and the truth. He's saying truth has to be calibra calibrated around him. So this verse, um, like there's another verse I want to share with you. It just, I learned it as an undergrad and then it has new, it hits me with new perspective. 
each time I go back to it, which is Luke 9.23. And he said to, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is what it means to make Jesus Lord. To deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow. I learned this as an undergrad. I said, wow, this is a radical message. But man, it gets deeper and more profound as I get older. Because when Jesus says you have to deny yourself, as I said earlier, just modern individualistic psycho- the, the modern individualistic psychology grid, it's suddenly like there's like blinking warning signs. No, you can't do this. You need to find yourself. Be true to yourself. Jesus is saying, no, deny that. Deny this intuitive grasp in trusting your own instincts and deny the intuitive grasp that your life is all about you. Now that takes faith. Last week I talked about faith. Remember I said the opposite of that is unbelief, which refers to like, no, I'm not going to do it. A refusal to trust in God, that what God says is who he says he is. So the Bible says, no, life is not about us. It's not about you and I. We're not the main protagonist. God says, I'm at the center. I am the true king. And he's saying, deny yourself. In other words, you can't be the one driving the car. You can't be the one calling the shots. You need to sell all and follow me. And that's the only way in which you will be saved from uh, the power of sin in our life and delivered from death into eternal life. When we give lordship then, in other words, to Christ, what happens is something miraculous. We're given a new identity, a whole new priority, even a wonderful community, and we are formed into what God intended us to be. And that is like his sons and daughters, and we're we're ministers, even though you might not feel like that, we're called to an amazing purpose of sharing the Great Commission, uh, fulfilling the Great Commission, sharing the gospel with others, and then the fruits of this is ultimately eternal life. And you might say, amen to that, brother. Um, But, and you might say that because you're already Christian. Yeah, I, I believe that. I've given myself under the Lordship of Christ. I'll follow him. I'll pursue his agenda. Great Commission, that sounds like an adventure. I'll do that. But here's the problem. As you do that, what ends up happening is there's difficulty. And in fact, at the end of the passage that we read here in Mark, it says there will be persecution. There will be disadvantaging yourself in a myriad of ways. There will be ostracism. And under the lordship of Christ seems like, wow, yeah, that's, that's great. It's a blessing. But doesn't feel that way when you're actually following Christ. doesn't feel like my life is a blessing. doesn't feel like there's a lot of happiness. In fact, I only see the costs. And so here's the thing. Following Jesus is, in the short run, not necessarily going to lead to the kind of blissful comfort that you might imagine your life to be, because that's not what Jesus promised. In fact, Jesus is not promising a triumphalism, uh, because remember what happened to Jesus. He died on a cross. So to follow Jesus means that we'll end up that way. That's why he says, deny yourself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Very often, in other words, I find in my own life that 
though making Jesus Lord in theory is great, there are costs to that. Because, yes, I will have eternal life. There are costs to that. But it shouldn't be surprising. Because we, what we're ultimately affirming is Jesus is, says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's promised us eternal life. And in the process, the fruits of it will be ever-weakening uh, of the power of sin over our life. But understand that there will be difficult times because a lot of times when you follow Jesus as Lord, it practically doesn't make sense to you. There will be sacrifices that you make, people, possessions, and purpose. Then when those times hit, it gets hard, right? And then suddenly God doesn't seem real. It, it's, uh, so the rich young ruler in verse 22 says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He's a savvy young man. He could make that calculation. Following Jesus is not going to work. He could project out. It's not going to further his agenda. And in the short run, it might get really hard. Maybe persecuted by his peers. So he makes the decision. I can't follow. I can't follow. Even though, even though he understands what he will be giving up in the long run. And he goes away sorrowful because he's genuinely torn. Because he wouldn't be sorrowful if he didn't recognize what he was giving up. But he's genuinely torn, which is a good definition of sorrow and sadness. Knowing the good, but being unable to move toward it. So he knows Jesus is right. He knows you need to leave everything and follow like Peter did. He knows his own righteousness is very shallow, and it's actually probably propped up by his wealth. That's the reason why he hasn't done anything like overtly evil, because he has a structure around him. He's got good education. He had a good family upbringing. He's wealthy after all. So that's why it led him. He, he had this intuitive sense that his righteousness is propped up. That's why he came to Jesus in the first place. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's to be saved. He wanted to be delivered from himself. He knows this, but it turns out ultimately he's too compromised. He loves his practical life too much. Loves the things that money can buy. And all of his imaginations span a few years here on this earth. And he's trapped in it trapped thinking about success or failure, reward or punishment in this world, rather than thinking about the essence of this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth is you fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners and we need a Savior. All our lives we've been alienated from the true King. We kicked him out. And the truth is that God took the initiative to create an extraordinary way for us to be saved through Jesus' cross and resurrection. That is good news. 
That's the good news he's inviting us to. So it turns out that the option of lordship or non-lordship, like these two alternatives, is really the lordship of Christ versus the lordship of sin or yourself. Because when you give yourself to sin, it's going to end up degrading you. Jesus warned in a memorable imagery in three of the four Gospels, a strong man guarding his house versus a stronger man. So I picture a strong man guarding this house, and it's like a WWE wrestler or something, you know. And then the stronger man, Jesus said, is needed to come in and bind that strong man before he can rob that house. And Jesus says, I am that stronger man who will beat up that WWE guy. <laughs> because, and what is that strong man who Jesus beats up? It's sin. It's that power of sin, and sin is sinister, and it's personal, and there is Satan who fuels that sin, which is why you go a little further than you had planned on when you cross that boundary. The stronger man, Jesus, has to come in, subdue that strong man, and the only way that will happen is to make Jesus Lord. Otherwise, we're messing around, and we're dabbling around uh, a little in this sin thing, and then will rob us of our dignity and deform us and twist us. So Jesus resolutely sets itself to Jerusalem, goes on the cross out of love for us to bind the strong man so that we can be free from sin's clutches. And so Jesus is saying, I want to set you free, make me Lord. And it's these two alternatives. So what is needed from us? What is needed is a firm and passionate response. The oath and vow and pledge to the true king. Being Christian means not just agreeing with the facts, but it's, hey, move over. I'm going to move over. You drive, Lord. It means to be convicted that there's no drama on earth, no little game on earth that we play, no prize that we pursue that is worth mentioning, or even in the same breath as what happened on the cross. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Life is short. Life is short. Death is certain. Eternity is long. Jesus Christ solved that problem of death and eternity. He's cruci he, crucified, he was crucified for our sin. And if that really did happen, if God is real, then nothing matters or nothing is as significant as that. That's what it means to be Christian. Not only to know the gospel details, not only just to agree with that, but to let that truth really hit you and grab a hold of you. And that's what it means to make Jesus Lord. God is the one who gave us these things. Our life, our people, our possession, our purpose. And he doesn't want to make us, quote unquote, give it up because he's a tyrannical being. No, because he loves us. And he knows that the only way from getting us toward the path of eternal life is giving him lordship. Sell all that you have and follow me. It's not really selling all to be, uh, actually, because as we do so, um, it turns out he entrusts those very things back to us to steward for the great commission. So Jesus says, follow me, let's go on this adventure. The romance of following Jesus which leads to untold blessing. I want to close with this. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. And then 
Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. So the choice is now each of ours to make Jesus Lord and as we live under his lordship and submit our authority to him, we will experience hundredfold the blessings that he has promised to us. So let's pray together. So before the band comes up with our final song, would like to have us think about this idea of lordship and giving God authority, the return of the king. Think uh, whether or not this is true. Like when you are left to your own devices, your own freedom, your own privacy, your being alone, like does that lead to greater flourishing? And I think if we were to be fair, we, we look at that and there's a dark side of us, right? There's a, there's a dark side that sometimes we find we can't control. And so... Jesus saying, I want to step into that space and I want to lead your life so that there will be dignity restored and then out of your life will be your true purpose and true blessing and then ultimately leading to eternal life. So maybe you've never made Jesus Lord, so I encourage you to uh, maybe in your prayer say, Jesus, I want to make you king. I want to make you Lord. Uh, maybe you already made Jesus Lord, but it's been difficult for you because in the process you've experienced costs and cost-mounting persecutions, ostracism, whatever it may be, and now you're seem, thinking you're doubting God is real. But let's re be reminded of Jesus' words. No, there will be persecutions. But come follow me. Come follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So just say a personal prayer, and then we'll uh, close with the final song.